Welcome to your Right to Speak discussions on social justice and advocacy. This is episode 66, and you're listening to the Rising Youth Podcast Edition. I'm your host, Salvatore. On today's episode, we'll be talking with Lynn. Lynn is a Rising Youth uh, Grant alumni who's created a uh, event called Tell Your Story. This event is a full day creative program that is geared to BIPOC immigrant and refugee youth. And the main goal of this event was to promote and develop the voice of storytelling from historically marginalized communities. It's a great pleasure to have Lynn on the show today, and I'm so looking forward to the conversation and where this journey is going to take us. Lynn, would you like to introduce yourself? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a creative writer. I specialize in creative nonfiction and children's literature. I left my full-time job uh, about two months ago, and I decided to pursue my writing full-time as well as to do some more creative programming for the community through the form of workshops and such, starting with the Rising Youth Grant. Nice. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, for, you know, we're just going to do Rising Youth, uh, sorry, not Rising Youth, um, Right to Speak uh, fashion and just dive into these questions uh, and we'll see where uh, this takes us. Awesome. So I think the first piece uh, for the listeners is, can you tell them about how you heard about the Rising Youth Grant? Uh, how did you apply? What was the process like for you? For sure. So I heard about it through working with Corey. So Corey works for Rising Youth. I met him when I was working in Moncton, New Brunswick. We had met because I was also doing youth empowerment and youth advocacy work at the time. So Rising Youth was just a natural partner in that. So um, I helped work on another person's grant. So we did a a group grant together when I was in Moncton. And then when I left that job and came back to Toronto, I wanted to do my own project. So I applied for for my own grant. And it was a very easy process, I would say. I had to do up a budget because I was applying for the top tier of grants. I had to list a community partner with whom I was doing it with. Um, So more support and guidance, and then just an outline of what I wanted to do. So I found the process super simple and the grant really accessible. You know, I keep on hearing this, how accessible and easy the grant process is. And it's one of the main themes I'm hearing about it and also how supportive um, they are in helping you complete the grant. And I think that's a, a huge plus because um, I've also applied to like other grants like Ontario Arts Council, you know, grants for the writers and such. And it's a, a lot more complicated a process. So making it as barrier free as it is right now and providing accessibility needs was a really big support in, in helping me get it together because it's a stressful process. And anything helps in terms of being able to make it it happen. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, I volunteer at another agency and one of my roles is to do some fundraising and grant writing. Mm. And it is a stressful uh, thing to do. And there's a lot of uh, big grants out there that ask for the moon, the stars, the universe, and <laughs> you just don't know how to get it to them sometimes, right? And they're so, so competitive. Mm -hmm. um, so it's good to hear that there is a youth grant out there that's really allowing youth to accomplish their goals, but also to learn on how to apply for bigger grants in the future. Yeah, for sure. So what, you know, I know I explained the event a little bit, but I was wondering if you could explain a little bit more in detail and how you came up with the idea and why you feel like there was a need for the project. So for example, did you think you were meeting any gaps in any types of systems? Yeah, so the, the event that I put on was a full day of creative programming and it took place um, online in the form of three workshops culminating in an open mic night at the end of the day. So the three workshops were run by myself, um, Christy Wong, who is a poet and visual artist, and Justine Abigail Yu, who is the founder and editor-in-chief of Living Hyphen, so magazine. And we put on three writing art workshops throughout the day that people could sign up for and then sign up to present at the open mic night in the evening, which was hosted by Jenna Tanya. And it went really well. I was inspired by, I'm a writer myself, so I have really benefited from from being able to see and work with writers who foreground their identity um, and not, you know, not white identities. So that's really helped me develop. And that's what inspired me to put it on because I wanted to continue that work and promote it. You know, it, this event reminds me of a TED Talk I watched uh, a while ago, and it was about, um, I forgot which African country the speaker was in, but she was talking about, it was an author, and she was talking about writing books that didn't uh, take into consideration, like, white identity. I don't know if you know the TED Is Talk. Pardon? Is this is this Adichie's TED Talk on the single story? Yes. Yeah. I. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's actually a huge. Um, oh, that that talk changed everything for me. But it. She was talking about growing up in Nigeria and writing about snow without ever experiencing it herself. I, I think mm -hmm. I'm remembering this correctly. And that really resonated because I wrote my first, my first novel draft that I wrote out. Um, the main characters, all the characters actually were white. And I had to like actively pause and reflect on that after it was written and be like, why am I writing white characters like with white names? Mm. Like it just, it doesn't reflect my experience at all, but that's what I was used to. Like, that's what I was used to seeing. That's what I was used to hearing. 
I just didn't conceptualize identity as part of my work until I was able to meet with, learn from, and work with artists who who were more in touch with their identities. And I, I think that that really influenced my work in a in a positive way. It's it's such a great TED talk. I mean, I encourage yeah. everyone to to watch it because it even you know as a white person working with youth, it really changed some of my perspectives as well. You know, I I didn't, to be honest, I didn't really think about, you know, storytelling in that way and how it always has a white perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, re- it really like just kind of shifted my thinking a little bit further. Um, it's just such a great TED talk. I it, it's one of my favorites. <laughs> For sure, me too. I think it it really helped me see that neutral is not neutral. Neutral is white, and and I, I wasn't writing neutral stories either. So yeah, yeah, and you know, and we're gonna get back to your project, but I think this is such you know an important conversation that you know in literature there there isn't a lot of representation. Uh, particularly North America, right? And I think in other parts of the world, there are probably great books and great stories out there that are representative of different cultures and communities. But here in North America, we just don't know about them, right? And I would say that, you know, is furthering the whiteness of the world. (laughs) I think it... You have to seek it out and you have to, I mean, because people are, there's definitely artists of Mm -hmm. color and there's definitely people writing and putting their work out there. And it might just mean looking beyond your curriculum a bit. So for example, in university, like, you know, there's all the Hemingways and the Tolstoys and the Chekhovs and such on the curriculum. And you have to, to push beyond that. And sometimes it's individual work and it's not systematic yet. But I mean, hopefully I think we're seeing that shift. I mean, I, I haven't been in school in a long time, but, you know, I think that shift has slowly starts to happen in academia. I don't think it's going to happen necessarily fully in our lifetime. I think it's so entrenched in the system and it's, it's going to take a lot of self-awareness and uh, a lot of unpacking and really critically thinking of what literature are we presenting to students and is this fully representative? Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard because I think that, that white stories, white men in particular, are still held as the ideal, right? So mm-hmm. it's hard to conceptualize good writing as something that looks different than that. Not that it, you know, should be hard or challenging too, but but it's it's gonna take some time and it's gonna take effort on our parts to push those stories forward. Well it sounds like you're part of that. So that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> So I know we got sidetracked a little bit, um, which is always good. Um, but was there anything else you wanted the listeners to know about your event? That was the gist of it. Um, 
I'm happy. <laughs> I'm happy to answer any more questions on it, but I think in terms of like the the outline that was that was the event and I think it went well for the most part got to meet new people got to hear different voices different stories which was really cool did you have any favorite uh stories that were told or anything that really impacted you after hearing it um I think one that stood out was we had we had someone who told their story through music Mm -hmm. which was really interesting because the theme of the workshop was just, or the workshop series was in finding your voice and telling your story. And however that looks like it's different. Some people tell it through art, through poetry, through creative nonfiction, through fiction. So uh, I, I usually write creative nonfiction, but hearing it through a medium that I have zero experience in was really interesting and really cool to see that talent come out. Nice. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to kind of explore the route of why you decided to do storytelling. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that, or from what I understand, there is um, in certain cultures or communities around the world, storytelling is very entrenched in that. Um, So I was wondering, was that one of the reasons why you decided to go this route? To be honest, I think it was more of an individual choice because storytelling is how I personally understand the world and how Mm. I've made meaning of my experiences and both in terms of escaping at first. I think it was largely about escape when I was younger and then now so more about reflecting and expanding on my view of the world. And that was what drew me to storytelling. However, you're, you're right that it's absolutely central to a lot of cultures. And I, I can only speak to my own. Um, and I think in Vietnam, stories, common stories, shared stories provide common language. And, and I think that's what makes up culture. That's awesome. I, uh, I, I do know I had a friend that I went to school with um, and she was saying that in her culture, we actually had to write a paper. And uh, it was, I, I mean, I didn't agree on how we had to do this, but we had to research our culture and talk about family dynamics from our culture. And my friend, you know, had a difficult time with the prof because for her in her culture, there isn't any research done and it's all oral. And anything that was um, about family dynamics was told by each other in the community. There wasn't really like academic literature out there uh, or books or anything. It's just all oral. Uh, And, you know, it it was interesting because the professor who, you know, said that they were social justice, did not, you know, understand. And they said, you know, for academia, because you're in university, you have to be able to find academic literature. And she had such, such a difficult time. That's hard. And I I think we're starting to see the beginning of a shift now in questioning what research means, because traditional definition of research is very white centric and racist in in many Mm -hmm. ways. And 
people's people's stories are not told through academic literature in their own voice. So I think it, like part of academia and part of doing good research is being open to different formats of storytelling. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it was just so mind blowing to me because, yeah. you know, like I, I couldn't wrap my head around it. And, you know, as someone who, you know, like I am Italian and there are some parts of my culture that I know of that are not even in academic literature. And I just know they exist because I live in my culture. <laughs> you know, it, it, no one's going to write about how in the Italian culture, you know, like religion and superstition go hand in hand. No one's going to write about that, but every Italian knows this. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot to be said about lived experience that isn't captured in informal structures, by which I mean white structures that we exist in today. I think a big piece too is culture is so individualized and how everyone experiences their culture and their community is very personal to them. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love the use of storytelling because you're really experiencing how that individual person uh, is seeing the world. So I, I did want to ask, were white people allowed to come to this event or was it just BIPOC, immigrant and refugee youth? Uh, it was BIPOC immigrant refugee. However, you know, we had white immigrants come, which was great. I, it was very important to me to only open it up to people who identified under those categories because it resets what neutral means, I think. And as a person of color, um, I, I know that I, I feel the shift in my body when I enter spaces that are specifically designed for BIPOC or immigrant people because we operate on a different level of understanding that you just don't have to explain yourself from and you don't have to feel the need to justify the way certain things come out as much and like these workshops were very very tailored to bringing out emotions and stories from ourselves and from our past like regardless of if you're writing poetry music fiction that still comes from you and your experiences the core of all writing regardless of whatever form they take is emotion and your own experiences so to tease that out, I felt like it was very important to create a safe space where people didn't feel the need to explain where they're coming from to a certain extent. Yeah, it sounds like, you know, there probably is a lot of raw feelings that possibly came out of the event. And um, I think having white people attend that would just kind of take away from that and I think the you know when, when you're in a room uh, full of people who are generally have experienced certain things from systems mm-hmm. and society it, it it kind of brings uh, more of a safer space for them so I can I, I can understand that for sure mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And um, in terms of the open mic, all our presenters were BIPOC immigrant or refugee youth, but white people were allowed to attend and appreciate their art. So that portion was was open to everyone. But in terms of the workshops and the presenters themselves, they were they were BIPOC. Yeah, no, that makes total sense to me. I think the workshop is where the emotions in some sense really come out and are raw. And I love that, you know, white people were allowed to participate in the open mic because my personal view of, you know, social justice uh, and anti-O and ABR and all that stuff is coming from a place of education. And I think having white people white people attend the open mic it just kind of adds another layer to that understanding and kind of building a bridge for sure yeah what has been one of the uh lessons you've learned during this experience I think it definitely affirmed how important those spaces are because I know I really appreciated it. And I think the feedback that I received was that a lot of people appreciated having those spaces to develop their work in. Um, In terms of workshop delivery itself, I think I... I still run creative writing workshops and I improve on them all the time. I think um, that was one of my first workshop webinar things that I've run in a pandemic. Um, So that was definitely uh, an experience that I can learn from. And now my workshops do incorporate a bit more movement, a bit more tuning in with your body and checking in with the self, which is like very natural in physical spaces that are not as natural in online space. So I try to make a bit more room for that in terms of like my workshop delivery approach. Yeah. I mean, COVID has definitely changed some of our methods of work, for sure. but uh, hopefully this will be done soon. We can get back to a normal or a new normal or whatever we're calling it nowadays. Um. So I know that this event, I believe it was held in October of this year. Mm -hmm. So were you thinking of doing another similar event like this? I would definitely be open to it. Um, I don't know if I have the time or resources right now to, but I am still running my own creative writing workshops. They aren't uh, quite the same because they're open to everyone and they are more focused on writing as a tool for self-reflection and wellness as opposed to uh, empowering people to tell stories in their voice. So it's a bit of a, a different focus. And they, yeah, they're open to everyone, not just BIPOC or newcomers. But I would definitely be open to it in the future if I had a bit more time on my hands. Well, I'm, I'm sure one day we'll, uh, you'll find the time. I, I, it seems that you're very passionate about this work. So I'm sure this won't be the last event. Yeah, no, absolutely not. And I'm always down to collaborate because I, I think the team is what makes these projects successful. And 
there's always learning that you can do from the people that you work with. So that's one of the most parts of the experience. Yes, for sure. And I will say listeners, (laughs) if anyone wants to collaborate with Lynn, you know, please uh, let her know. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. Um, What advice would you give someone who wants to do some storytelling to kind of talk about their own lived experience? Generally. I would say to read a lot, first off. Because that's, I mean, there's no shortcuts to writing well. You just have to write a lot and read a lot. And I think that that's what we were talking about at the beginning about expanding our view of what good literature is, expanding our view of what the canon is. Reading diversely is very important to that. And then also practicing and writing a lot. And the advice that I would give to all writers, emerging writers, is that there's going to be a lot of bad writing and a lot of things, like the vast majority of my work, like I would say 90% of the words that I put down on paper or on the word document never see the light of day. But that's, that's fine. That's part of the process. And it just is very time consuming. But you can choose to engage with it however you want, right? So not everyone has to necessarily make a career out of it. Um, that that does take a lot more time than people might think, because I think a lot of times we hear people say that you can just write in your spare time. And that I, I've, I've found that difficult, but you can just write in your spare time if that's something you want to engage with on a surface level. Not a, No, not surface level. That's the wrong word. But like however, whatever level you're comfortable with. Right. That makes sense. (laughs) Um, Do you have a favorite author or book? I don't know if I do. Mm -hmm. I feel like I read every genre. And... I'm always open to new suggestions. So I don't know if I necessarily have a favorite author or a book. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> that's absolutely fair. I, I can't say I have a favorite author right now. I am addicted to uh, a social researcher right now who's kind of writing a whole bunch of stuff. But What are you reading? Um. Her name is, she's like a social work researcher, Brittany Brown. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Brown is wonderful. (laughs) Yeah. I'm reading Emergent Strategy right now by Adrian Marie Brown. Oh, nice. So that is my my current book. But yeah, in terms of a favorite, it's hard to say because I read a lot of children's lit and I read a lot of nonfiction and fiction as well. Um, Is there... And I may be putting you on the spot. So uh, sorry about that. And if you don't know, you don't know. But I was just wondering, since we were talking about different authors and literatures from various communities across the world, uh, do you know of any from your community that you think would be a good uh, book for listeners to read 
that are part of your community? Yeah, absolutely. So Ocean Vuong is a Vietnamese American poet and author and his book on earth were briefly gorgeous is one of the most beautiful things i've ever read in my life so i would um yeah i would i would say him first and foremost <laughs> there are many many others of yeah. course but uh as a starting point ocean Vuong is one of my favorite Vietnamese authors look at us promote all these books <laughs> <laughs> And if children's lit is your thing, um, I would say look into the Rick Riordan Presents series. So Rick Riordan wrote The Lightning Thief, uh, which draws on Greek mythology. He's a white male author. Um, And after those series became super popular, readers started asking him to write about like other mythologies from around the world. And he was like, I don't really know if I can do that well. So he set up the Rick Riordan Presents series, which um, gets authors to write middle grade children's fiction from their own stories, from their own mythologies, from their own backgrounds. So there's like a whole series of very, very diverse children's lit that draws from different mythologies around the world told by writers from those backgrounds. So that's my go-to for, for good children's lit. That's awesome. What a great resource. Thank you for that. Um, we're nearing the end of the show. I'm going to ask you the uh, trademark question. <laughs> what, uh, everyone gets asked it. <laughs> Uh, what does advocacy mean to you? It's a difficult question. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> I think it it means to me advocacy means empowering people to tell their own stories. So not telling people stories for them, but giving them the tools and courage to tell their own stories and do their own projects and make great things happen in their voice, how they want it to look. I love it. I've never had a definition of advocacy that incorporated storytelling. So I, I love it. I love it. That's so interesting because I feel like it's so core to what I think advocacy is <laughs> so it's just really interesting how like you know you have so many perspectives and and for me it's just like the obvious answer yeah and that's why I asked the question because you know in my work I've realized that everyone does it and has their own definitions right and there's so many different ways of doing it um so I love your unique perspective it, it's I love it <laughs> Thank you. Um, Before we end off, is there anything else you want to share or let the listeners know? You can find my work at linsnguyen.com. So L-I-N-H-S-N-G-U-Y-E-N.com. My workshops and my events are on there as well as my writing and always down to hear from people, always down to collaborate. And I think that art is such a community process. So I'm excited to meet more people and hear more voices through this. 
Well, thank you for being on the show. It's been such a great pleasure uh, talking with you about all this wonderful stuff. Thank you so much. The Right to Speak will be posted on the second Wednesday of every month. Uh, thank you for listening to this week's episode of Rising Youth Podcast. For more information about the program we provide or to start your own project, please visit risingyouth.ca. Let's raise awareness together.